0: Welcome to another episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast, presented by PCBB1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now, here's the founder of PCBB1917.com and your host, Mike Hopkins.
1: Happy basketball season to everyone listening. This is Mike Hopkins, the founder of PCBB1917.com. I want to thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Friartown Fanboys podcast for the 2017-18 season, which gets underway later tonight if you're listening on Friday morning. Uh, The the Friars open up the season on Alumni Hall against Houston Baptist. Before we get too far into anything else, I want to bring in uh, Chris Grenham, who is uh, a recent graduate of Providence College we have a bit of a theme going on this podcast between Brendan and Chris and, and I uh but Chris uh Chris is uh coming to us from uh com. he uh, began writing for them last year he and I got to know each other a little bit through that and uh we're going to jump on the podcast so Chris welcome
0: yeah thank you i'm looking forward to getting this going during the season and uh i'm excited it's, it's going to be a big year for the Friars, so i'm looking forward to it
1: yeah i think so this, this could be uh arguably the highest expectations for a Providence team in some time, despite the fact that they kind of surprised last year to get to 20 wins. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, when the season gets kicked off. But before we get into anything about the season, um, with this being currently National Letter of Intent signing week, which began on Wednesday, uh, Providence officially announced on Thursday night that they have signed all four of their um, 2018 commits, A.J. Reeves, Chris Monroe, Jimmy Nichols, all signed on Wednesday. Uh, David Duke signed on Thursday afternoon at, at Cushing Academy. Uh, and then Providence sent out a release making it official Thursday night. Uh, Ed Cooley had a pretty standard, uh, nondescript quote in the release. It was uh, kind of what you would expect from a, uh, a first... First, uh, you know, we're excited to welcome the, um, but I know he actually is pretty excited. This is, this is a class that really could put Providence in another stratosphere in terms of a program going forward.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a hell, it's a hell of a base going forward. I mean, this combined with the 2017 class, that's getting ready to debut on Friday night. It's a, it's a pretty awesome, uh, base for the future, you know, Chris Monroe and Jimmy Nichols, I'm sure, not getting overlooked, but are kind of in the shadows of A.J. Reeves and David Duke. But those two guys can play as well. Those are two nice uh, stretch wings that, uh, you know, add a lot of depth to that class. So, uh, you know, besides the generic statement, I know Cooley's really, really excited about that group.
1: Yeah, and he, uh, you know, the interestingly this week, uh, Scout put out a, uh, you know, they're doing all kinds of signing day content, and one of the articles was – called Which School is set Best Set Up for the, for a Four-Year Success? Uh, Brian Snow of Scout.com chose Providence, and his reasoning was essentially that they have a very highly rated class, but he doesn't think any of those guys are projected to be early enter, entry people to the NBA. I think that's certainly true of, of Nichols and Monroe. Having said that, I'm not so sure he's totally accurate on Reeves or Duke. Reeves, probably more of an outside shot. He'd have to get very very much more athletic or become a real ridiculous shooter. Uh, but David yeah. Duke has that has a Chris Dunn type athleticism and body that if he comes along maybe a little faster than they think, he could be a two and two or three and out kind of kid.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And he's also been improving immensely kind of at a rapid pace over the last couple uh, AU circuits. So if he continues that pace, I think definitely he could end up being an early exit, but as far as the other guys i think it would take a lot for them to to make the jump even even including the 2017 class but got to got to agree with uh with how well they're set up for the future
1: yeah and that's that's kind of the key in terms of and i've talked about this a lot both on the podcast and on the website the key to building a program is continuing to just and now providence is basically just retooling this is very much like a Villanova style where you have a ton of depth especially at guard uh, look at the roster for this season, and then next season, uh, you know they're they're set up to be in a position where they're going to have a ton of depth, and they're going to be able to let guys kind of come along. Versus before, when you'd have you'd sign a good class like a uh, 2012 when they signed that really good class, but you then you're kind of relying on freshmen, and that really never is going to get you to where you want to be. Which Fred Cooley has made it very clear is a national championship.
0: Yeah, right. It's it's kind of a nice system now that Providence is starting to break through and become a consistent member of the Big East elite, I guess uh, plenty of people would say. So it's nice. They're not banking on a bunch of freshmen. It's like you said, it's retooling. And it's not like Cooley's stopping after getting this great base. He's already offering and pursuing plenty of 2019 and 2020 prospects. He offered uh, two DeMatha Catholic players in 2020, uh, either last week or the week before. So, you know, they're set up nicely, but he's still he's still cooking. So, again, it's it's the retooling. Kind of strategy, which
1: is awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, and really, I mean, November 9th, they have four kids signed for the class. so
0: yeah, that allows that's, them
1: that's awesome. to look ahead, like you said. They they're all over uh, 2020 kids, including Hunter Dickinson, who is largely thought of as a, probably a top ten player, five star big guy in that class. Yeah, uh, and then you got and then you got other other guys in 2019 who now they can really focus on, like uh, Acock, who you know keeping the mass rivals pipeline going that that would be that would be a nice uh, way to start off 2019 so i mean they yeah. they really are in, in a phenomenal position right now nothing Nothing like this has been the case uh for Providence recruiting in depth in a long time
0: right, and again, like you just pointed out, that relationship with you with mass rivals is huge, and if they could keep that going and almost create a pipeline there, that would be unbelievable for the program going forward that's set them up for a lot of success.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of talent that's coming out of that program every year, and it looks like Ed Cooley picked the right program to align himself with. So
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, uh, just moving on a little bit from recruiting, before we talk about uh, the season coming up, well, let's talk about a little bit about the exhibition games that they played so far. Obviously, they had two scheduled this year, uh, and then they had that third one pop up with UConn, which was at Mohegan Sun to raise money for the American Red Cross Disaster Relief Fund. Um, I was at that game, and I, I must tell you, I was shocked at the atmosphere. It was it, it did not feel like an exhibition game, and I really thought that Providence was way more sharp than I would have expected towards the end of October for their first contest against anybody else. I mean, it was I, I was impressed.
0: It was pretty great. I, I think, like you pointed out, the atmosphere definitely helps with that because a lot of exhibition games can kind of be, you know, low intensity and just kind of going through the motions, which might have been the reason why they didn't look as sharp against Carlton or Baruch. Um, But, you know, again, maybe it's because they're playing a high D one opponent rather than a Canadian school or a D three school. So there's a lot of factors that play into it. But like you said, I was kind of in awe for a first preseason game. They really looked really sharp and they're meshing pretty well as a group, um, even without guys like Jalen Lindsay. So I, I really was impressed with their play against UConn. And on the other hand, UConn fans were probably a little, squirmish after watching that that performance
1: yeah well if if they weren't that night then they certainly will be after the news came out thursday night about adams
0: yeah that's going to be problematic being
1: suspended yeah so i I don't know how that's going to play out but uh yeah i really i mean there are definitely things you can nitpick um but it's an exhibition game and they're you know they're playing weird lineups lindsey wasn't playing malik white wasn't playing and obviously emmett holt wasn't playing um so i mean it's you know it is what it is I, i just think overall Cooley made a big point to, and he said this at Biggest Media Day, he said it in pretty much any time he's been asked about it, and certainly after the game, the first thing he said to all of us after the game was, let's remember why we played this game, was for charity. And he really feels strongly that this should be an annual type of thing and something that would be a win when college basketball right now is taking a lot of L's.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it seemed like it was a it was a huge success. You know, they got a lot of people down to Mohegan for the game. They made a lot of money. And, and it would... You know, with like you said, in the direction college basketball is heading right now, with all the scandals and stuff, it'd pretty be pretty foolish not to make this a consistent thing every preseason. I'm not really sure why they would go away from it after seeing it was such such a success. I mean, Kansas and Missouri had a similar charity game that went very well. I mean, there's a lot of other events that were successful too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this happen now every preseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it seems like a nicer thing to do than like have the opening game at the dunk be a can drive. I mean, yeah, yeah, much more I mean, it's, successful it's great as well. Yeah, I mean, it's great that they do that, but I mean, Cooley was saying there's plenty of local charities in Providence that could use help, or in in stores anywhere in Connecticut could use a little help, and it, for, for them to potentially ignore an opportunity, which you know they probably will. at the NCAA, so what are we even Shh, talking of, about? Yeah, of
0: course they will. That would be consistent with their past.
1: So, I mean, and then moving on to Carlton, I mean, that was just the, the exact opposite. Like you are saying, the atmosphere was, I mean, there was nobody at the dunk for the most part. Um, really just probably some of the worst basketball that Providence has played. Um, but again, I, just like I didn't want to overreact too positively to the UConn game, you don't want to react too negatively to a game like this. I mean, this team, Carlton, is... Like the, they've won a million championships in a row. I think it's like, yeah, they're like no joke. Years, like seven, seven in a right. row. And they beat Alabama, uh, at some point, who is largely thought to be a top 20 team this year. Although again, the NCAA scandals now. Colin Sexton yeah. might not play. Yeah. Not but, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I look at it. It's, it, they, it was awful. They played awful and they lost, but I don't know. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can take too much away. They're, they're missing some starters. Um, they played all kinds of wacky lineups. I think. Um
0: Yeah, I think he kind of Cooley the nail said the something head. about
1: yeah. I mean, I think Ed Cooley said something about eighteen different lineups and or, or you know in the first. I mean, it was something ridiculous like in the first right, half, they which played. is kind
0: of which is kind of insane. I mean, but people forget, you know, these exhibition games they're for the coaches too because Cooley's mixing and matching all these crazy lineups early and often. Nobody really gets a chance to get settled, Um and so you know he has he's never really had this much depth. He could realistically run. Ten deep, if he wanted to, every game. Uh, so these games are also for Cooley to kind of figure out how to manage that depth. That's the most he's ever had, and that was kind of an example of it, where he's still feeling it out on how to manage all these guys that can be productive on the court at all moments.
1: One thing I was a little surprised to hear from him uh, after the UConn game was that, because I think this is something that all summer long, after Mackayash and Lankford committed in April, uh, all summer long, everyone was. You know, drooling about the potential backcourt of him with Kyron Cartwright playing together, and Cooley has certainly not been shy about saying that he likes to play two or three ball handlers. But it was interesting to hear him say after the UConn game that the first time the two of them played together was the day before in practice, right? And which I was kind I, of puzzled about too. I mean, who knows if if that's he was just being hyperbolic? But um, I don't know. I, it's, but it but seems like now that that door has opened, it looks like. He's gonna be and and I think also the Emmett Holt injury, which we'll talk about later um has shifted around some of their philosophy in terms of lineups and where guys are gonna maybe would have slid down to a two or a three are gonna slide up to a three or a four it's just i think that's throwing it off a little bit, so I don't know i mean it, like you said it's 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 even the baruch game, which they won by what thirty points I mean it's yeah playing they still a division three too team. sharp no, but it's a division three team. And, you know, they, they still didn't have, they didn't have Edwards. They didn't have Lindsey and Holt. So, I mean, yeah I, I think,
0: know. I think when you're looking at the brew game, it's, you know, you can focus on alpha's upside that was shown. He's set up for a breakout year and I think he had like 22 and 13 or something like that. So he looked great. And that's a great thing to look at, but again, not something to overreact about. Um, and it was you know, they did what they had to do. Like you said, it's a D3 team, but obviously there's still room for improvement. So, I think it was kind of, it was an interesting three game slate. You kind of saw a little bit of everything.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, I think like in past, the past few years, they've only had one public exhibition and the other has been a closed scrimmage against like Harvard or Northeastern.
0: Right. It was Harvard Um, the last few years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're going to be, I think in those games, like that would have been more like the Yukon atmosphere, obviously without the fans, but in terms of how the, how they were probably playing, um, because you kind of, get more up for playing against guys that you look at as at least relatively on your equal. So, Yeah, the I think intensity that, you know, is going to be three, much more there. Three games, I think they're probably very happy to have played all three, even though they didn't necessarily have all their pieces and it wasn't always pretty. Uh, I think, you know, the more time you can get the freshmen involved, and we'll talk more about the three freshmen specifically later, but uh, you know, it's good. It's, it's all good for me. And, and I'm really, I, uh, with the expectations on this team, this is going to be one of the more fun seasons I think in in recent memory uh, for everyone at Friartown.
0: Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And and like you said, with the injury of Emmett that we'll talk about in a few, it, it was kind of great that they played three games because there's going to be a lot more adjusting than people had assumed over the summer, you know, obviously before the news about Emmett's injury came out. So not having a whole, uh, Hurts, obviously, but, you know, having three games rather than just a private scrimmage and Baruch on the schedule is kind of helps him get settled a little bit, I would think.
1: Yeah. Well, we might as well just jump there now because we've kind of mentioned it a bunch of times. So, um, for anyone who is just waking up now that the season's here and hasn't been following anything, um, I think it was the first week in September or so, we think that he, uh, Emmett Holt went into, uh, the hospital. He had a, he has an illness. And ultimately had surgery, uh, abdominal surgery, uh, which he is still off campus recovering. Um, and it's increasingly becoming clear that he's probably not going to play at all this year. Uh, you know, the la- Cooley's language has changed a lot in quotes uh, when he's been asked about it. So um, it doesn't sound like he's going to play at all. He uh, actually, people are confused at this. He has not redshirted at all because he went right from Indiana to Juco and then Juco right. to Providence. So he actually still has his normal redshirt. He doesn't have to apply for a medical redshirt. He shows a normal redshirt should he uh, actually be out and he can come back next year and play his fifth year. Uh, right. But Which is great. I which, didn't even
0: realize that either because I was uh you know my talk was all about medical redshirting and stuff. But again, he went right to Juco, so he doesn't have to deal with the whole medical redshirt process, which is kind of nice. But like you said, it you know he's still off campus recovering. So I think right now the focus is more so on getting him healthy, just for his well being, rather than trying to get him back on the court.
1: Yeah, and I think even uh, a win for Providence this year would just be to get him back on campus and around the team, because Cooley has mentioned a bunch of times that he um, he's you know his infectious personality. He called him the other day the heart and soul of the team. So. Uh, I think at this point everyone's just you know hoping for his his best uh, recovery that he can be back at school soon and and just around the team even if he isn't going to be able to play.
0: Yeah, that's extremely important what you just said. He's he's a pretty infectious person, and you know having him around the team is a huge huge difference. It, losing a guy like him, uh, kind of it could even make an experienced team sort of lose its identity. Not in a devastating way, but in a way that does does hurt the team and. And you know, just having him around as a presence in the locker room is uh, is something that Cooley, I'm sure, would love to have uh, even later on in the year if he were to come back to campus. But he's a he's such a kind of a contagious player out there. He would bring the intensity a lot, even in you know a non conference game that say the rest of the team might be kind of lull about. Uh, so I think that it's it's really nice having him there. Uh, and that's going to be a tough loss in that in that facet alone.
1: Yeah. And, 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 obviously we kind of touched on it, but re- really the biggest impact of him not being there is that it kind of shifts around what their philosophy was, um, in terms of lineups and matchups. And, and obviously, uh, production is going to be huge. I mean, he was, he was a very productive player last year. Um, and so now, I mean, I think that the, the common thinking, at least that is what I think. You can tell me what you think, um, is that, his production will probably largely be made up by a jump from alpha Diallo and, and probably people are kind of hoping a jump from Khalif young or some combination of the the big men, young big men and Diallo and maybe Lindsay can step it up a little. And yeah, it's going to have to be kind of everybody chipping in because he was a very good player all by himself and kind of a matchup problem type player. So I don't, you know, the production is going to be hard to really replace.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you kind of laid it out pretty well because people are saying, you know, yeah, Watson, potentially uh, Watson and Khalif Young are going to be the replacements, but he's a tough guy to replace because he's a multi dimensional big man. He can shoot and dribble around the perimeter, which is really hard to replace, especially if you're trying to replace him with a Nate Watson or Khalif Young or more conventional, you know, front court players. So, you know, a step up from Alpha and and maybe Isaiah Jackson as well, and and Jalen, like you said, it's it's going to be a group effort because you can't just replace a multi dimensional big man like that with one, you know, Nate Watson or one Khalif Young. Uh, so it's going to be tough to obviously fill that void. He's awesome to have out there because he can do a lot of things that a lot of uh, front court players can't do. But if they can patch it together, and and again, there'll be a shift to the lineup and a shift to the rotation, which Cooley's been pretty good at doing in the past so hopefully he'll be able to do so again this year
1: yeah and I think that's just as from a from a basketball nerd type of perspective it's going to be really fun to see how he does that because that's going to be a very it's going to be a very difficult he's going to be sort of doing it on the fly so um you know as we saw in the in the in the exhibitions he's probably it's going to take a little while and they don't necessarily have a little while with Monday which we'll talk about that but um, it's you know they might they might not look great for stretches because he's trying to see what they have.
0: Yeah, he's kind of going to be shifting guys around a lot. It's on the fly is a is a correct way to put it. It probably really depends on the opponent. You know, if they're playing a team that runs big, it's going to be tough to shift Alpha Alpha Diallo up because he's not really going to be able to do much against a huge front quarter guy. You know, a team that has a couple you know six eleven seven foot guys. So it really is going to depend on the opponent, and I think that's going to determine how much. Nate and Kalief kind of jump into play. And again, I'm putting a lot of pressure on, on Nate by saying he's going to jump right in here. He's still a freshman, and he's yet to play a regular season game. So, uh, you know, I'm sure Cooley will focus more on Kalief Young to start, and hopefully at some point Nate Watson can can step up and start filling Holt's void.
1: Yeah, and, and the other pseudo-injury that we uh, should mention is Jalen Lindsey's knee. He uh, had an MRI, I think it was last week, uh results came back no structural damage so um but he still was not practicing but then uh we found out yesterday on Thursday that um he started practicing on Wednesday um uh, and I thought an interesting quote that I saw from Brendan McGare um on Lindsay said quote I'm feeling good Friday will be more of a coach's decision but I feel a lot better my knee feels better I've been practicing and it's feeling great so to me, the I don't think he's going to play Friday. Um, this yeah. is kind of how I yeah. read that.
0: I would bet on him not playing as well.
1: Um, and also, just reading it back again, it's hard to say when that last sentence when he says, "I've been practicing and it's feeling great." Does he mean it's great to be back practicing, or is it knee? Yeah, feeling or, great?
0: or is know. the actual knee feeling great? Yeah,
1: but I think that he probably will not. I mean, the the earliest I think you'd see him is Monday, and I think there's a decent chance he plays Monday. I don't think it's, like, totally out of the question.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's the target, too, because, you know, not looking past Houston Baptist, because obviously coaches press the idea of not looking over opponents, but I'm sure if you're really trying to get back Jalen, Minnesota's the target. Monday would be the target more so than rushing him back to play a Houston Baptist team that's kind of one-dimensional, and you might not need him against. Yeah, and,
1: and and... he also was practicing for pretty much the entire preseason so right um, right it's really only been like a couple of weeks that he has missed so it's not like he's going to be totally out of shape or and he's still been doing drills on the side of practice he just hasn't been going full in practice until Wednesday so
0: yeah, hopefully it won't be a major concern going forward they could use him but some of these stretches in their non-conference schedule they'll they'll definitely need him
1: yeah, and I think um, the other injury from the exhibitions is Drew Edwards, who also was not practicing, missed the last two exhibitions. With back spasms, um, he's all good. Uh, from what I was told uh, on Thursday, it sounds like he's probably going to play. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much because, you know, to see how the game goes in terms of if it's close or not. But uh, I do think that he will play uh, on Friday, and Lindsey probably will not.
0: Yeah, it sounds like Drew's going to play on Friday, which is important. He's going to be an important guy in the rotation because, um, he, you know, even though he's technically a sophomore, he does have some good experience. And Cooley is really going to rely on him um, to get the starters some rest and to get the, you know, guys who contribute a little more time some rest. So he'll, he'll play some quality minutes. They're going to need him on the defensive end as well. Um, he looked okay against UConn. Uh, at least I was kind of focusing in on him up against a higher D one opponent. And he looks pretty good. Uh, but you know, more consistent, uh, stretch similar with Rodney would be needed with him. Just always there rather than kind of ghosting like Rodney does more prolonged productivity will be needed from him.
1: Yeah. And I think Drew, especially this year, is going to be sort of like the ultimate role player coming back from last year when he, I think he only played eight games before they shut him down, but, uh, he, Went to Spain this summer with Malik White and had a very good experience there. His knee is finally 100% healthy, which hasn't really been the case in about a year. Yeah. So, that's huge. um, so I think he just feels more comfortable. It sounds like. And, uh, and I think he, he will probably f- do a little bit of an Isaiah Jackson role, um, with obviously probably less minutes available this year than last, but it'll be sort of like what Al- what Isaiah did last year, kind of coming in off the bench, providing some tough defense and, scoring when you know finding your spots
0: yeah but now that his knee is fully healthy like you said hopefully he can kind of embrace that role because i think he could be great and then i think he could really provide a punch for them off the bench which is much needed
1: and then uh transitioning from there into the freshman punch off the bench um one of the things that we wanted to talk about uh was expectations for the three freshmen we've kind of touched a little bit on uh makai and a little bit on Nate but we haven't really talked about DeJour so maybe we'll start there um i i tend to think that the i think coming into the year i think it's fair to say that most people were looking at him as a potential redshirt candidate somebody who a seven footer wasn't really going to be ready might need a little extra time right and i think he has surprised people quite a bit in terms of how far along he is. Again, he's a freshman, so saying he's far along doesn't mean he's going to be a starter right now and an all-star. He's a freshman, but I think he's further along than people expected.
0: Yeah, I think he definitely is further along, and I I kind of shocked a lot of people right off the bat against UConn because he looked game-ready right there, and he looked a little bit bigger already. He was you know, obviously one of the major concerns—not major concerns, but one of the concerns with him was that he needed to put on some weight. He needed to throw on some muscle. He was a skinny seven-footer. Uh, but I think he's further along, uh, like you said, than a lot of people expected. Which, with the absence of Emmett, which we keep returning to, but with the absence of of Emmett is is pretty awesome uh, and and kind of huge because they are going to need him if, say, he were to stick around for the year and not redshirt. Uh, he could give him some minutes off the bench if they, you know, the front court gets in a foul trouble and they're playing against a bigger team.
1: Yeah, and also I think having, I mean, the, the I I watched him a little bit in high school. Um, he's he played for Boo Williams and they were in uh, New yep. York um, for a Nike event and I got to see him a little bit and I, the thing that and, and one of the things that people are, have asked me a lot is how does he compare to Pascal Chuku as a freshman and I, I think it's it's kind of a dangerous thing because again he's a freshman and you don't want to get people's expectations out of whack right. but I think that he's 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 a he's in a better place than Chuku was as a freshman because. He, he's, he has more control of his body, and he's not... Like, Chuku was very top-heavy, and he didn't really have good balance. He was easily pushed around. That's yeah, not it was almost like he had grown
0: into his... It was almost like Pascal hadn't really grown into his body yet.
1: Yeah, he's, he, he was very high center of gravity. Whereas yeah. DeJour plays more centered and really can run the floor well. And he, he had a couple of... uh he, he had that one really uh eye-popping block in the Yukon exhibition. I mean, he really... He's a he's I think more athletic than I even remembered. Um he sort of was like a deer with his head a, 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 um deer in the headlights a little bit. Yeah when I saw him in, in April a couple years ago. Uh-huh. But uh he he's you know, I, I I think that he's going to provide like ten minutes a game or something similar. He'll have a few ridiculous blocks that, you know, will be like a gif of a ball going to the eighth row. <laughs> yeah. And he'll make and he'll yeah. make some stupid fouls. And he, he's got a lot of work right. to do on the pick and roll he showed. But, I mean, he, I think yep. he's he's going to be able to bring something.
0: Yeah, his ability to run the floor really impressed me against UConn, like you said. There was that one, uh, you know, fast break in transition where Makai threw him an alley-oop. He got down the floor right alongside Makai, which was pretty impressive. And also just for any Providence fan, that clip of Makai throwing an alley-oop to DeJore Dickens was, like, unbelievable because that's just the future over the next couple of years. So that was yeah. awesome to see. But the fact that he's able to run the floor with him uh, is is pretty awesome. It's not you know, a lot of front court guys can't really do that. So his athleticism has surprised me as well. And he's got a lot of upside, but again, he's got a lot to work on uh in terms of the defensive end. He can block, but on the defensive end, he has some work in with the with the pick and roll for sure, especially in the flex.
1: Yeah, and I think that's pretty typical of, of freshman big men. Um, uh, the other freshman big man is Nate Watson and another guy that y- you want to kind of, ramp down expectations a little bit because people are getting a little high on him. I think he was on the Ed Cooley radio show the other night. Um, very, very nice, soft-spoken, articulate kid, but he's a freshman and everyone has to remember that he's going to play certainly. But um, he's also, I mean, I don't know if people just totally forgot about Ben Benton's freshman year because of his great sophomore year, but Ben Benton made a ton of stupid mistakes as a freshman. Yeah. You know, he was a really bunch of horrible fouls. Year. Yeah, Yeah. So I, I so if, if Watson and they were ranked similarly coming out of high school, I think Watson may be a little bit higher, maybe in the sixties, was in the eighties, but yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think that's a fairly decent comp for what you can expect, uh, out of Bentle. I mean, yeah, out of, out of yeah, Watson.
0: Out of Watson, Yeah. And I even had to stop myself earlier in the show cause I'm telling myself the same thing, you know, everyone's getting really hyped up about him cause he's going to get a lot of time and, and he's great. And you know, he's a great prospect. It's an awesome grab for Cooley and his staff, but you know he's a freshman, like you said, he's going to make a lot of mistakes, and and to have expectations set that high is probably unrealistic. Um, and for the first couple of weeks of the year, he's going to be playing behind Khalif, so I'm sure people are going to want to see him playing big minutes and maybe even equal minutes to Khalif Young. But people forget Khalif Young was awesome towards the end of the year last year. He had kind of a slow start, and he really ramped it up around uh, you know middle of Big East play, and was really great coming off the bench for for Cooley. So. I think if you set your expectations too high for Nate it's it's going to be tough uh it's going to be tough down the road and you're probably going to let yourself down but Nate's going to be great down the road and hopefully he'll be super productive towards the middle of this season.
1: Yeah, and I think he probably will be but um, Yeah. But so I guess we'll finish up with with uh Mackay here. So he uh he obviously was was ultimately the prize of this class, top 40 point guard. Uh, originally committed to UConn, although he was down to Providence in UConn in the end. Uh, Kevin Ollie gave Ed Cooley a little April gift by firing um, the associate head coach that recruited Mackay to to UConn, and and so I, I think it's interesting that because of the way that all went down, and he sort of came in in April, and it happened pretty fast. I think he sort of, I don't know if I don't know if overlooked is the right word, but I, I feel like if he had committed in September before and people were talking about him all year how great he was going to be i think people would be more excited and maybe it's for the best like we we're talking about with watson where the expectations are maybe a little bit more measured with mckayesh and langford right. but um, i don't know what you think about that
0: yeah i mean yeah kind of so sort of like when david duke and aj reeves come in next year they're going to be so ridiculously hyped because people have been watching them for a year so i think it's kind of nice that it was a short uh, trip in terms of the post-commitment uh, post commitment events for, for Makai, if that's the way you can put it. Um, and he can just kind of jump right in, which is awesome. But again, he's going to be awesome. And, and even though Cooley said they haven't practiced too much together, it'll be nice seeing him and Kyron next to each other with you know, Emmett not being able to play. I think it's going to force them to have two ball handlers on the court at the same time a lot. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. I mean, Makai is an awesome, awesome prospect and he's really going to be great down the road. And thanks to Kevin Holly for the gift, because it really set up a nice base in terms of running the point. Once Kyron uh, graduates after this year.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, and you add in uh, Malik white as a sophomore and Edwards, like we were talking about, and you know, there's just so much depth. There's so much versatility with what they can do different lineups, yeah, especially play Clark, fast, play yeah. slow. Yeah. I mean, they, they really are in a position where they can sort of mix and match game to game based on matchups, and that's really yeah. an advantageous place to be.
0: I think getting you know a lot of people when Makai came in, they're like, oh well, you know, Malik might be gone now, and he's probably kind of you know upset that they brought in another point guard, but it kind of allows him to fall into his more two like play style because he's he's a scorer more so than a uh, you know a, a normal generic one. Uh, So if you can have a lineup where say Kyron's getting some rest minutes uh, and Makai can play the one Malik can come in and play the two and just fill into his, you know, a scoring based role, which is kind of what he was brought up in in high school. So I think that kind of lets him fill his, his more you know, true role.
1: Yeah. And if he buys into, if white buys into that role, I think he's going to be very successful coming off the bench because that's yeah, again, like what you said. That's, that's sort of his thing. So if he, if he can, you know, bite his lip a little bit and, have a freshman playing, maybe starting or whatever over him and realize that if he can come off the bench and he could probably average 10 points a game off the bench, if he's going to come in and, and really focus on that.
0: Yeah, it can really help him. You just got to hope he, he can buy into that, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, time will tell, but uh, for now, I think things are looking very good. Um, so I guess we'll jump now to um, previewing the actual game. Uh, now that we've talked for a little over a half an hour about everything else. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So, just a little, little quick. Uh, for anyone not familiar with the Houston Baptist Huskies out of the Southland Conference, uh, they were 17 and 14 last season. Uh, went to the CIT, which was their second straight postseason uh, tournament they played in. Uh, but they lost three starters from that team and are bringing in nine new players for the 2017-18 season, including six true freshmen. Two of which are projected to start based on the game notes I saw Thursday. Uh, one of those freshmen actually, uh, interestingly is a former Butler commit in David Carraher, who actually Providence recruited a little bit too. Yeah, they at did. Point. Yeah. Um, like kind of like a, a typical, I, when he committed to Butler, he's like, yeah, that's a typical like white Butler player who will be a good shooter. <laughs> and then, yeah. Um, but so he, uh, so that's, so that's essentially their, their overview. Um, their leading returning scorer and rebounder is, uh, a six foot 11 senior named Josh Ibarra, who, um, was named second team All Southland last season and again in the preseason this year. Um, a little bit on him. Uh, he does all of his scoring on offensive rebound putbacks and he catches on the, on the left block with, uh, and then takes one dribble and shoots over his right shoulder with a hook shot like 70% of the time. Oh percentage. literally so,
0: almost every time. It's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, I watched a lot of a lot of that tape, and it's like this. I noticed exact the exact same thing, so.
0: thing. That's that's funny.
1: Um so that's pretty much his game. He's a big kid, and uh so it'll be a decent test for the first game for all the young big guys. Um and then the other player who's returning that's a significant piece for them is Braxton Bonds, who is a friend and high school teammate of Jalen Lindsay. Um, Bonds, I think, played a lot of point guard for them last year, but he's really most dangerous in transition. He, uh, I think he averaged nearly two steals a game. So he, he's kind of an athletic six foot three kid, doesn't shoot it well, plays a little bit in the pick and roll. Um, so those are the two main players for them. They're going to start, it sounds like two true freshmen. Um, they also have some grad transfer, a grad transfer and a couple of JUCOs that came in. So, I mean, it's going to be a kind of a total, a total mixed bag for their coach, Ron Cottrell, who's been there for, and this is his 27th season.
0: Yeah, this will be an interesting project for him. They got a lot of young guys, like you said, coming in and basically a, a roster restructure um, over the offseason there. But Bonds and uh, Ibarra are the two guys to really focus on. I think Bonds played like, I don't know, something like 30, 31 minutes a game last year, um, if I remember correctly. And like you said, he's pretty good on defense, averages close to two steals a game. Um, and uh, he's a friend of Jalen Lindsay's, so there's a little connection there. But I think Josh Barr is really the guy to focus on. Um, he's their go-to guy, and being a six eleven, uh, being a six eleven center and a senior, he's been around. He's got some good experience, so that's a great measuring stick for the young front court right off the bat. So, say Nate Watson were to get some solid playing time, I think that'll be a nice first test for him right off the bat. But um, you know, again, it's it's a young young team, so it'll be a this is a heck of a measuring stick for Houston Baptist more so than anyone.
1: Interestingly, I haven't really seen a line on this game. Uh, I noticed actually that a lot of the Southland teams are not lined right now. For they are, um, yeah, yeah. I had a friend. Which is, I mean, I had they, a friend
0: asking me about that today, and I, I couldn't find one either.
1: Which is interesting, though. I thought maybe that was a thing that maybe Southland doesn't get yet lined, but then I looked at last year's um odds database for Houston Baptist; they were lined like every game. So. Huh. I think part of it, too, maybe the injuries uh, that nobody knows about. Lindsey and Holtz, I guess, in theory, that people, if you're not following closely, don't really know if he's definitely out or what for the year. Yeah, so, a good point. um I did see uh, one, one book that I saw has Providence as an 18.5-point favorite. Okay. So,
0: yeah,
1: that sounds, and then a, that someone sounds else told me. right. Someone else told me they saw 20 somewhere. Ken Palm has, I think, 24. Yeah, I was just going to say
0: I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, and it's 24.
1: But he, I don't think he's factored in the injury, so uh, the whole so injury. Either. Yeah. Um, um, and, but, and, again, yeah, I think I mean, that
0: the atmosphere is going to be pretty great, too. Obviously, it's the first game they've played an alumni since 19 – the first regular season game they've had there since 1972. Um, so that'll be pretty exciting. It kind of makes me wish I was back on campus for, for that one. That would have been a lot of fun as a student. It'll be it'll be great for everyone on campus.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I have a feeling that it might be another f- – 45 years until we see this again. I, I had somebody, yeah, yeah. somebody say the, the other day that this is so great. Um, they should do this every year. And I, I guess like in theory, that's like in terms of like a, a school spirit camaraderie thing, that's true, but there's like every other aspect that's a disaster.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, it sounds great at the surface, but when you get into logistics, it's really not a great thing and you're packing all, it's going to be really hot in there. I can guarantee that it's just not as big of a space as people think
1: yeah and I think they they are so they're sold a lot of standing room only tickets I mean it's going to be uh pretty close to 2,000 people and I think there's only seats for like 18.5 so
0: yeah it'll be fun though it'll I be know. interesting to see how they handle it but I think you're right I think this will be it'll be a long time until they end up doing this again
1: yeah and I think uh in terms of tv we were talking before we came on, uh, about the TV options. It's on Fox sports network, which is regional carriers. Um, down here in New York, we have, um, yes network and a lot of people in Connecticut, uh, have yes network. Uh, but people in Boston, I'm not really sure what the best move is right now. It's just, um, Fox sports North, Fox sports, Midwest, wind West Fox sports Southwest and, um, your view, which is formerly Cox, uh, are the only options that I've seen so far.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm up here in Boston. I won't be able to make it to the game tomorrow due to some NBA coverage that I have to do. So, it, it, it I'll I'll have to figure that out tomorrow and and see. I'm sure there's some Providence, you know, bars in Boston. So I'm sure plenty of people will go that route rather than trying to figure out how to stream it. Because, like you said, yes isn't available up here, and Fox Sports Network is always tough to figure out.
1: Yeah, and, and I know. Uh... My guy Fryer TV will will have something going and at yeah, the minimum definitely. you'll be able to get the radio. But uh Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate that's the way the first game happens and it's on campus, so another ten thousand people who maybe could have been at the dunk can't even get to the game. So but it is what yeah, it there, is. There'll be a lot of
0: there'll be a lot of frustrated people tomorrow night trying to figure out yeah. how to watch.
1: Although hopefully it doesn't really matter if they can maybe they can cover and it'll be a twenty plus point win, and then no one'll really care.
0: Yeah, that would be the ideal scenario. Hopefully it's not a nail-biter. That would be an unfortunate way to start the year.
1: Um, so I guess we'll finish up here uh, just looking ahead a little bit to Minnesota on Monday, um, which is the kickoff to the Gavit tip-off games this year between the Big East and the Big Ten. Um, obviously, a bunch of storylines with Richard Petino, who is a PC alum himself. Um, son of Rick Patino, formerly the Louisville coach. Um, and then the other on-court storyline that's interesting is that this is going to be the first time that Providence has hosted a top 15 non-conference home game since, uh, John Calipari led his Memphis Tigers to the Dunkin' Donuts Center December 2005. They were ranked seventh at the time on their way to the Elite Eight.
0: Wow. There you go. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, a lot lot of research uh, went into this podcast. Digging in deep. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so there's a lot of storylines. There's a lot of uh, intrigue, some rumors that Rick himself may come to the game.
0: He's going to come in shackles, walk in there.
1: That is is a rumor. If he does come, (laughs) I I would advise him to sit maybe in a suite and not right behind the bench. I don't know how that will go for him.
0: Yeah, that will probably be a good idea if he does decide to show up.
1: Although I will say there's still a lot of people in Rhode Island that love him, regardless.
0: Yeah, if any states and any city specifically is going to like, him, I think, I'm sure Providence will still embrace him. He did a lot of great things for for PC, so I'm sure there's still plenty of people around there that like him.
1: Yeah, but it, on the court, I think it should be. It has the potential to be a very, very good game. I think Providence. So Minnesota is ranked 15th in the AP um, in the preseason. Providence just outside the top 25, receiving votes. Um, but I think Providence has the potential this year, if things break right, to be in the top 25, maybe the top 20 for stretches of the season. So these teams are pretty evenly matched overall. Uh, Minnesota coming off a pretty good year last year for uh, Richard Petino, who was in need of a good year after a couple of lean years. So, uh, but I mean, it, it, it's going to be an interesting game. I, again, it sounds like Jalen Lindsay will hopefully play. Um, so they should have everybody back aside from Holt. So, um, I think it'll be a lot of fun, 6.30 tip on a Monday night.
0: Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I, I mean, having Jalen back will be huge if, in fact, he does play. They're pretty similar to Providence in that they're getting a lot of their guys back. They got a lot of experience uh, and a lot of depth. Um, they get four out of their five top scorers coming back. Nate Mason, Amir Coffee, and Jordan Murphy are all consistent scorers and guys who uh, Providence is really going to have to key in on. So it'll be a tough matchup. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it's good to get, you know, a, a pretty tough matchup early on in the season. And it's a good measuring block. Uh, but yeah, they were 24 and 10 last year. They're a good team. They're well-coached by Pacino. So that'll be fun. It'll be a great game.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one a lot. Um, I'm, on, I'm going to be up there, uh, for that one as well. So should be a lot of fun, uh, Friday night opening up at alumni hall. Um, and then I, I just want to mention one thing for Monday um, that I had heard about, but I, I kind of forgot. And I just saw uh Steve Nabilolo send a message out that during a TV timeout on Monday, they're going to honor the late John Zanini, who is yep. maybe familiar to people as the stat beast from uh, John Rook's weekly column at WDI.com. Uh, John passed away from cancer, unfortunately, and uh, in the off season, and so this would be the first year, I think, I forget what John had said, maybe 25 or 27 years that he'll be doing a Providence broadcast without John Zanini uh, by his side.
0: Yeah, that'll be great that they're honoring this. That's tough. So I'm, I'm happy that they're doing that, their first game at the dunk.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a little little bit sad, I guess, but but uh, more of a celebration of, of a, a really, one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet, uh, really. The staff piece, yeah, he's
0: an awesome, awesome guy
1: yeah um so kind of you know unfortunate to end it end on that but i think this is about about where we should end it for uh for this edition of the Friartown fan voice podcast potential new name to come i don't know we'll see maybe we'll put a contest yeah, out there we'll, on twitter we'll play
0: around yeah that'd be nice we'll take a poll we'll figure out a new name and
1: uh for anybody wondering uh brendan beguer will still be involved uh he just had a conflict uh for this episode Um, but Chris and I will hopefully be doing these roughly weekly if possible. And he has generously offered to do a lot of the post production work, which uh has always been an issue for me. So hopefully we'll be able to bring this to you weekly. So make sure you go to uh iTunes or anywhere else and subscribe. Uh I'll put the link in the post and the link will also be on Twitter. Uh Chris, any last words for the people?
0: No, that's it. I'm looking forward to getting this going starting the year with Friday and Monday. It's a nice little back to back and Hopefully next time we we'll, we talk to you guys, it'll be a, the Friars have a winning record. Don't forget to subscribe to the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram. At PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page and as always,
1: stay classy, Friartown.